Hello and welcome. You're listening to Requires Improvement, a podcast that aims to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system from an unashamedly left-wing perspective. With the support of listeners and guests, we want to find out what's going well and what really requires improvement. I'm Lee, I'm a history teacher and a union rep, and I'd like to introduce my co-hosts. I am uh, Nick, I'm a um, secondary school teacher just outside of uh, Bristol, NEU rep, NEU officer, that kind of stuff. Hi, I'm Charlie, I'm a supply teacher, Um, yeah, currently on a long-term role, but yeah, doing supply. I'm Tom, a humanities teacher and school rep in Bristol. I'm Lauren, I'm a science teacher based in Bristol. Cool. So we're going to discuss a bunch of issues that we think are in urgent need of requiring improvement. And I think it really starts uh, most prominently, given that the nation is currently on lockdown to electric boogaloo. Uh, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about school safety. And uh, I've got a bit of a bit of a story to tell on this one in that uh, my safety was uh, put at risk recently by the general situation in that I uh, day before half term started feeling a little bit under the weather but in that sort of general sense that you do as a teacher uh, feeling healthy and great is not something most teachers enjoy most of the time <laughs> you're in a kind of subpar condition where your body's struggling to provide enough energy to its cells so you're used to sort of things like oh the odd headache the odd the odd sort of you know chill in the bones the odd feeling that perhaps you might not get through to friday and that is how i felt on tuesday of the week before half term but i, I passed it off as just one of those things because i'd been teaching in the these conditions for about seven and a half weeks straight. Um, Although I'd had a couple of days off for like a a stomach bug, I thought this was the stomach bug returning because that's another fun aspect of being a teacher is that you can semi get over something, but your body's so tired, it's just storing it up for when you actually do get a break. So as soon as you get your holidays, you get ill again. That's what I thought was happening to me. But uh, what what was actually happening to me is that I, I had caught COVID and uh, it took about seven days of feeling a bit, a little bit under the weather, like I had a cold. I just had like an occasional headache, you know, variable temperature, but no cough, no loss of, te- no loss of taste or smell. Uh, but yeah, after seven days of feeling like this, I then went rapidly downhill. Um, I suffered at home for another three days uh, and that's when the coughing really started to come in. Unfortunately, I also suffer from asthma as well. So that was going a bit haywire. Um, And it was when I sort of realized I couldn't really look after myself at home because I was getting dizzy spells and generally thinking, oh, if I if I passed out, could I actually supply enough oxygen whilst, you know, to myself whilst unconscious? Um, After battling for any kind of care and attention from my local GP, I uh, showed up in the car park for an oxygen test because unfortunately my experience with the testing system that week was a massive letdown. I did a postal test that came back inconclusive. I then went to a walk-in centre that came back inconclusive. So we're talking like four days of doubt and uncertainty as I was going rapidly downhill. It was when the it was when the doctor in the car park at my local GP surgery put the little device on my fingertip that reads my uh, oxygen blood level, saturation level. She was like, yeah, you, you need to go to hospital and so, um, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, my half term was cut rather short by feeling very ill and then having to go to hospital for five days. And uh, I, I do want to 
pay tribute to the fantastic people in the NHS, uh, certainly Southmead Hospital in Bristol. From the moment I showed up there, um, I could not have been in better hands. And the professional, the professional approach and just the fearlessness, the fact that they were chill about the fact that I was utterly riddled with this deadly illness. I mean, obviously they got PPE, they got procedures for managing their own safety, but I just felt that the volume of care with which I was showered at that point, you know, well, it saved my life. And and that's how I'm able to sit here on this podcast today and talk to you guys because I needed oxygen to live at that point. And uh, had I deteriorated any further, I, I would have been in ventilator territory, uh, which was... Uh, a bit of a it was on my mind at that point that not only was I now alone in hospital because they certainly don't allow visitors to the wards where COVID is doing the rounds um yeah but you know I I know I'm unlucky you know I know I'm like you know only five percent of cases end up in my situation and it is probably my comorbidity on the asthma side that left me particularly vulnerable but you know I'll (sighs) what can i say i i i am now on the other side of it um thanks to the nhs again they saved my life and I, i'm i'm now able to be at home and i'm not getting worse but i'm not exactly getting better neither um you know the, the fact that the infection got so got such a grip on me my lung capacity is currently reduced and that's something that requires improvement but there's no magic wand for that so i'm i'm trying to take walks of increasing length each day so I could handle the prospect of being stood up for an hour in a classroom and then maybe do that again five times or six times a day. Uh, Yeah. How are things... I mean, you know, I'm about to open this up to a wider discussion about how people are getting on in terms of how how safe they feel in their schools. But, um, you know, one thing I do want to make clear is that I am 99% certain that I picked up COVID in my workplace, in my school. Uh, This is because other staff members who I share an office with also tested positive over half term, at least two uh, that we're aware of. There may be other asymptomatic people. And I have taught classes that have had positive cases registered amongst their peer groups. But under the current guidelines, that's perfectly safe. Um, And, you know, I'm going to have to just be sharper when I get back in that classroom. I'm going to have to be more vigilant about are the windows open? Have I sanitized my hands at every second? You know, and it's a sketchy situation, guys. I mean, I guess it always brings it home when it happens to you. But um, I want to open up the discussion now to how people think the current COVID situation is in their schools. Uh, Lauren was there first. Um, Yeah, like I'm especially after hearing what happened to you and obviously someone that you're close to is going through that obviously it does bring everything a bit home a lot more um honestly right now I feel like my school is a ticking time bomb we currently have three year groups out partially um because we've had positive cases if in three year groups in the last week and a half in my school um one of those positive cases is a student I teach um that class is now reduced to three students um and every day I'm walking around that building being like right put your mask up put your mask up put your mask on properly sanitize your hands and and the students just are almost normalized to it now they're just not doing it anymore they're just not sort of 
it, the, the urgency is completely dissipated and now it's just another thing that they're oh god you know miss is just telling me to put a mask up for god's sake um like to credit to majority students fine but there is a decent enough core that just aren't doing what we need them to do and that is making me feel increasingly unsafe and the fact that the amount of cases now even in the last week and a half that we've had is quite frankly ridiculous to the point where I believe that senior management have actually phoned Public Health England to ask them, is, is it even okay that we're open? And they were assured that, yes, of course it's fine that you're open. So you can imagine, I think as a member of staff currently, you just feel completely thrown to the wolves. That's how I feel right now. And no way is social distancing even a possibility. Like our corridors aren't even two metres wide in some places. Like you're fighting to get past kids to get into your room you know, if you're teaching, like, I normally teach in quite a large room. It's my normal room. I'm a science teacher, so labs are quite big. But when you're in a mask English classroom where they're not that big, the only way that they'll physically be two metres between me and the kid in front of me, as as another teacher said quite a while ago, I would have to literally melt into the wall. Um, uh, and the extra pressure that adds on staff as well. So I now have to make sure before nine o'clock... I've got a link to a lesson, something uploaded for all the classes that are now partially self-isolating. So before before I've even thought about the start of my day and the day of the kids that are actually in front of me, I'm now having to make sure that three, some in some cases four, well, four, no, five of my classes, and if I teach three or four of them in one day, that I've got to make sure all the links are up there for them before I've even thought about my day. Um the added behaviour issues that that brings with kids being literally taken out by SLT because they need to be sent home then because they've just had a positive case in their year group and they're a close contact. Um, it's basically made for a perfect storm of stress, of anxiety, of not being able, like everything just feels just off the wall at the moment to the point where a day feels like a year. So much happens in one day, so much is changing constantly. And I I genuinely do wonder, or I don't even wonder, I'm pretty certain that if you blanket tested my school, even the kids that are still there, there will be at least 100, I reckon 100, like, cases. And that does not make fill me with confidence in my own safety. And certainly safety of members of staff that are, I'm quite close to who are either themselves quite vulnerable or are sheltering people at home who are very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I recently saw that Public Health England have guesstimated that around 18% of secondary school children would test positive were they to be tested. So round it up to 20, guys. That's one in, one in five kids. You know, it shows you the level of asymptomaticness around children. Um, the nation's riddled. What, what, yeah. can we, what can we say? Um, and they're the ones who've actually got tested. Like, this is it. The only ones we know about are the ones that actually have got tested. Like, that's the whole like massive flaw in this whole system is the fact that not everyone's getting tested so it is oh yeah it's really frustrating it's just so frustrating and and actually getting quite scary now tom i believe you wanted to weigh in on this issue um yeah i think uh, lauren's covered a lot of it but i mean yeah i can only really echo what lauren said and i suppose yeah i mean it's sort of in terms of my day to day it's it's okay it's manageable we're um is the word peripatetic is that the word have i just invented the word there where we move around from classroom to classroom that is a word fantastic nailed it that's from aristotle you know 
Oh yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that. I knew that much, Nick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so we're moving around, um, kind of going into the different bubble year groups who stay in the same corridors, and of course, like many schools, the corridors are narrow. Um, I feel a lot happier now that the government has mandated masks in communal areas, but I think that's something that should have obviously been in place from September and wasn't. Um, aside from the whole like non-existence of effective test and trace. But yeah, I think I kind of echo Lauren's point. I'm a bit fatalistic. Um, I suppose I'm at least thankful that I and no one in my household um, has kind of any underlying health conditions. So if if I've got it, I would statistically would be okay. Um, I may have it right now. I may have already had it and not known. Um, but it does just seem, um, it seems I can't, it does feel it does feel strange. I can go from from the day to day with them kind of forgetting about it. It has kind of been been normalised. I think in in some ways I've quite enjoyed them doing a lot less marking. I'm kind of sat at the front of the class, just talking at the front of the class, asking them questions from distance. I don't have to do that thing we're all very used to, like walking around and looking over their shoulders and marking their books, checking checking spellings, talking to them. You mean? Yeah. Uh, I've still got a mark. No, I can talk to them, but just from from a great distance, which um, it's been uh, yeah. Like, as a as a as a pedagogic, pedagogical challenge, it's been quite quite interesting. But I mean, it, it's it's not safe, and I just think obviously talk about my my personal situation. I'm fatalistic, but I suppose for many others, um, not least Lee here, it's it can be fatal, and I think I'm um, kind of as 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 a union, we've had some wins recently with um. Uh, colleagues in the third trimester of pregnancy being allowed to work from home and having increasing numbers of um, of vulnerable staff uh, it being managed for them to work from home but it does seem I think as we're recording right now we're in a in a, in a very strange situation I think increasingly we're seeing what Lauren's talking about having to prepare lessons for half a class that are at home and then teaching another half I mean the increasing trend I'm hearing of and you may have heard the same is about teaching a class in person in the building but that also being recorded and then at the same time you're simultaneously teaching students at home which seems to be a very um messy and fraught situation as well so i think yeah i think we're kind of at aside from the whole public health issue and the covid issue i think in terms of teaching it is going to be a workload and increasingly a mental health time bomb as well it does seem completely unsustainable i mean i'm i'm yeah, that's my that's my kind of thoughts of where we're at at the moment. It's it's interesting though that working in primary it just doesn't feel like that level of um, well that level of one having you know uh, to do that you you can't really do the standing completely from the class you do have to be like be getting um, between the desks sometimes like I'm sure according to the um, health. Uh, and safety, um, what do you call it, report? Ugh, you know when you... you know risk when you, assessment. Risk assessment, exactly. Um, that, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that, but that's kind of like what, in the school I'm currently at, um, you have to do in order to stop the children from getting up. So, like, you're, like, sharpen their pencil and things like that. Um, so I'm not constantly away from them, and I am I am a bit more in within that one-metre range of children, like certain children who just, like, like 
they just need it um, at certain times for behaviour, but for, for all sorts of things, for uh, emotional reasons. Um, but also, like, while that there have been, you know, children you see occasionally on um, on the register that they are obviously isolating, there's not that feeling that it's, like, spreading as rapidly, like, if it is there. Um, but what I... Yeah, what's sort of strange is that I feel like because I'm not in secondary, I have not felt the weight of like how many secondary schools are you know at close to a breaking point like the way that Lauren um Annie Tom say like and I feel like that's not unusual it just isn't in the media anyway like so sometimes I hear it from you but you're not you got that sense that it's everywhere but I think that it is it's really widespread but it's nowhere so if it if you've not got teacher friends who are in secondary or if you've not got children that are in secondary or some sort of direct link and a sense that it's not just that one school that you may be linked to but with many it's not in the media anyway how how close like in England at least like that that's an issue obviously um Wales Scotland and Northern Ireland have been doing their own um different things in terms of lockdowns or or temporary lockdowns that have maybe uh, made it so at this point but again, it's that's not in the news. I I don't hear about that all the time either. And that comparison, it's it's really strange that it's just left. Well, it, obviously it's not strange because that that's that's for a reason. Because if we really knew how bad it was, then the public would be probably more supporting the NEU's sort of position on having um, sort of circuit break lockdowns in the in England, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and the blended learning. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think the public's necessarily like against it i don't think the the date is that set we'll, we'll talk about that when we get onto the, mm. the strike things but it's yeah it's key when they when they show a school uh in the media uh they always show like a picture of a classroom of kids socially distanced yeah. because that's how you illustrate that's how you <laughs> illustrate the point they're making whether it's a devious <laughs> thing or not that that it's a it's a very simple visual bit of you know visual clip art and that's the easiest way to illustrate their thing now Yes, it's bullshit, and it's and it's it's just not true. Not a single place is like that. Um, well, maybe 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 the private schools, but you know, yeah, maybe uh, is fine. Yeah, even private schools, they they still have bums on seats. Like they they have declining revenues, and they they pack the schools. Like they're not that small. Like the A level classes are kind of small, but other times, you know, they they do have to get them in. You know, they won't have like classes of thirty, but it's like twenty, twenty five. It's pretty kind of normal in key stage three, especially. Um, but yeah, I mean, the masks thing is funny and we're going to end up talking to our head and we're going to be saying, you know how before when you said you could only follow Public Health England guidelines? Yeah, and that was the right thing to do. Yeah, well, they've changed their guidelines now that everyone has to wear a mask. Um, and before we asked you, can you tell us when they're, can you tell us the child when they've got covid and they're like no because you don't need to know we'll tell you if you've taught them or you've been close to them or whatever and we're like saying yeah but what if they sneezed on me in the corridor or what if i bollocked them you know <laughs> walking around because <laughs> they, cause they, cause they you know what if i just what if i just absolutely slammed them for something they were doing and just didn't know that code and wasn't wasn't part of a thing and they said well, that won't cause a problem because you can only get it, it will only contract 15 minutes close contact unventilated. So corridors are not an issue. 
It's like, okay, you looked me in the face and you told me that. And I said, isn't there another way we could do this? Can't we get the, ask the parents for permission to get around data protection when it's a staff member? Can't we uh, ask the staff member voluntarily? Would they want to, are they up for sharing it to get around data protection? And they go, no, have to do it by PHE, by the book. Two weeks later, we're all wearing fucking masks because we have to. So it's like one of those things wasn't true, was it? And we're gonna, I'm going to have to ask that because my members are asking it. But he not, is not going to know what to say. And it's going to be oh. really awkward and weird. Well, because he's been caught out ultimately. Sorry. Yeah. L- Lauren, what were you saying? Uh, I was going to say, because we're interestingly, now I'm talking about the situation at my school, which as you can probably, as I probably made quite clear, is pretty diabolical at the moment. Now we've had masks in four since September. So to be fair to the, the management of my school, they have been... They've done the best job they can possibly do with the circumstance they have. And I'll absolutely say, come out and say that. Like, they really have. And, and You're having learning walks, though, aren't you? No, no, okay. In terms of yeah, safety. Oh, no, insane. no. In terms, of, in terms of, like, no, no, I'm, I've been getting learning walks. I'm marking books still. I've marked six sets of papers um, in the last two and a half weeks. Like, in terms of that, I'm still expected to be delivering these amazing, perfect lessons um well we know they don't exist but you know what i mean these like idealized lessons based on this particular book that we are currently you know delivering teaching from um and yeah so in terms of that the pressure is all the pressure of in terms of like my job and my teaching and being observed and being scrutinized and we've also had this new um a few new initiatives introduced this year i mean well the fact that we had 20 supply teachers in last week tells you a lot about the state of staff yes exactly like i it's just it's it is like walking into who knows what the hell's gonna happen like the benny hill music is in my head constantly on a loop that is how i feel at the moment in my job like spoke to a colleague uh who you know he he struggles with his mental health a little bit um sometimes brilliant teacher like wicked with the kids and, and really committed and stuff and um but at the moment, you know, you sort of ask him, you, you, you're in the school and you sort of ask people how they are. Like you, bump, you don't see as many people anymore because you're not in the staff room or anything. You see someone who's like, you're right? And they're like, yeah, maybe. And I sort of uh, asked him how he was. And he was like, yeah, mate, I've kind of just gone through the looking glass. You know, some, you know, this new, they tell you this new thing and you go, oh, really? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, let's all wear Oh, of course I've got this. It's just got so farcical you're just continuing with this ridiculous thing and it's like oh we've got i've got this new spray to spray the desks day in no one can taste anything afterwards because the spray obviously evaporates (laughs) it's a chemical it wrecks your mouth i can't use the spray we have to go back to these wipes and stuff like you know new initiative comes in boom wipes out this whole thing like constantly it's not working and at least in my school slt we've not we as a school we don't really have learning walks anyway we've battled that stuff back don't really have formalized book scrutinies like that we've battled it back but mm-hmm. the idea that there are schools where the amount of slt like the bodies that you need to be ringing up the contacts and getting the kids to go home and the organizational stuff you need at the moment just to keep the ship together and yet there's some members of slt that are going and doing learning observation like learning walks and writing that up and putting people on capable doing that paperwork when there's much 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 more important things to do is criminal it, and it, yeah. and it and, but what but it doesn't make sense the best of times and there's still people plowing through with it and i don't 
it's it just it's really wacky and because we can't let standards drop can we okay we still have to maintain our high standards but this is the worry that teachers going through this will maybe have found another bit of steel or another bit of resolve in their soul to go through with these really really difficult situations and the other side of this thing you know oh it's easier oh yeah sure i can do this oh okay i don't have to do all this other stuff now mm. yeah fine i'll eat another big pile of dog shit um, because because it's not as bad, and you just have to kind of keep keep an eye on those standards. It, for example, the online learning stuff. You know, there's that meme going around. It's like there'll never be another snow day because we've got we've got <gasps> online learning, or it's things oh, like. I never thought of that. Yeah, or it's like um, in our school now they've put these visualizers in every single classroom so that you can teach from uh, from home, like Big Brother style, and it, like someone's people have done this so that you can see this, the kids. Um, so you, I'm, I'm sat at home and I'm, I'm talking through the screen, like, hello, this is your teacher. I would uh, do what I say. And <laughs> you can also see them because that was, people started doing this. They volunteered to do teach like this. Yeah. To become he- head, head data of the panopticon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's weird because I can't see the kids. So, ma- so management went and bought a visualizer for every room. So now we have these visualizers everywhere and it's like all this new tech, we're going to be expected to continue providing two things so it's now it's like every child that's at home should have this tailored approach to them you know this this new workload thing has like ramped up and we'll have to resist it and when people say oh you're not oh you know why do you hate kids why do you not want them to learn the enemies of promise it's like yeah i'm all right i might have kids but they um it's not possible. It's not even valuable. It's not even valuable. It's a waste and of time. And do you know what? Until they can manifest us as holograms that can electrocute children in a classroom, it's not. It's not going to work anyway. Like if if a kid's if a kid is only semi bothered by an in person bollocking, what are they get? What are they going to care about whether you can <laughs> see them through a webcam? Oh, I'll, I'll send a sternly worded email about your conduct right now. Like I I, I just don't think it's going to be effective. On a human to human level, but that's that's just you know my cynical criticism of it. I did have a colleague. Um, I did speak to someone, um, uh, an NEU member, and they were telling me about they were they were self isolating, waiting for a test result, waiting an incredibly long time for a test result. But they were set up with they were teaching through Zoom to an in in person classroom, so all the kids were in the building in the classroom, and he was at home being beamed in via Zoom. And I was asking, what was it like? Yeah, and I was asking, what was it like? And he said, well, they suddenly all just collectively decided to turn against me and not do what I told them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the school approaches, they're they're not going to hire, they have to have an adult in the room, but they're not going to hire a trained teacher to be in the room Mm. because then you're paying two teachers. So they'll either get an LSA or... Um, I don't know, someone, some unemployed, <laughs> someone off the street, you know. Uh, a bailiff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, an ex-army person. Mm. Oh, the ex-army will solve, just get the army into schools. That's like the solution to most things, isn't it? It's just like, oh, yeah, we tried getting military people to teach. Oh, yeah, just teach put loads of... Yeah, mm. no, they always do that. It doesn't work because the military people come into schools and they go, this place is a shit show. This is not how you run an institution. Yeah. No one is doing what they're told. I went, when I did my NQT, um, the partner teacher I was supposed to have, who was like this, you know, uh, supportive woman who'd been teaching for 12 years and been at the school for eight, uh, left uh, at Christmas. And 
she was replaced by someone who was so sort of concerned about potentially doing their NQT at the school that he actually like didn't do it. So he he was pre-NQT, which is apparently legal to just go in and and um and to do it like that. And he started out in the military. He quit that, become a cop. And then he thought, nope, got to go to the source, make a difference. I'm going to become a primary school teacher. And so this is like the first... Sort of first it's the wire. No. <laughs> it's, it's an episode of my life. Fresbo. It's an episode of my life, Nick. Fresbaliski. <laughs> yes. Um, Get those dice out. <laughs> yeah. And it was really funny watching... Well, not. I mean, obviously, like, really depressing and just to start, but in a way kind of funny to watch someone who'd gone down that journey with the kind of mindset that that this was how you get to the source of how you fix um, society through i mean not not that's the sort of thing i i went in and believe and still to some degree believe as well but like the idea that you could just walk into a class and then you sort of fix a little little sliver of society like with a click of your fingers he he was very disillusioned by it all i do wonder whether he's still in teaching but you know considering he kept leaping from thing to thing he was like 40 but so the leaps were slow but um yeah i i yeah i don't think necessarily it does set you up for for accepting this the institution because for for their faults the they're not their 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 faults are different from the the institution of education especially yeah public education or state yeah I just, I just want to pick up on something that Nick said earlier, which is about, oh, why do you hate kids? And this whole rhetoric that I'm hearing increasingly about like, well, why do you want to shut schools? Other people are still going to work. Um, What about the kids being at school? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, I want to be at school. I want to teach. I love it. That's the reason I do it. Like, I like being in the classroom with the students. That's what I miss in lockdown. However, uh, lockdowns are temporary. Death is not. Um... And do you know what's worse for a kid is losing someone to COVID. So it just annoys me that we get so wrapped up in the minutiae of like classrooms and schools and we're so like becoming quite insular, not we, but a lot of people who are in education or around it are becoming quite insular and and just going, yeah, but kids need to be educated. Yes, of course they do, but people need to stay alive. And currently the numbers in the UK are not good like this is bad if you look at the graph compared to even what it was like in april we are heading for an absolute shitstorm and at the end of the day i would rather go okay four weeks of being away from the classroom so we can actually get these cases down to a level where people aren't going to die and where people are going to be not going to be waiting for ventilators uh, etc like guess what i love kids enough that i want them and their families to be alive Sorry, I just had to say that because I'm just, I was so fed up of hearing just that rhetoric, rhetoric, whatever. Yeah. True, true say, Lauren. Uh, Nick, did you have one final thing on the topic of school safety? Uh, no, what I was going to say, can we come under the uh, the strike stuff, I think so. All right. So, I mean, school safety is obviously a massive issue uh, with competing priorities and it, it's difficult to unentangle the, these issues. But there is one area that is very much within the government's control to decide what happens quite easily on it. And that is the um, troubled issue of exams. Uh, We were greeted with the news this week that Wales have taken the uh, devolved decision to cancel their exams for the coming year, probably in acknowledgement of the fact that 
depending on who you are, will depend on how much school time you get. So the idea that you can run an exam system on a fair basis for all students currently is a fucking lie. Uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> yes. the, be- the best our current government can offer students in England is, is that, oh, we'll just give you an extra three weeks, guys. Um, have an extra three weeks. That'll balance out any, you know, t- terrifying trauma you go through or, you know, being sent home for two weeks at a time, possibly multiple times throughout the year. I don't know what uh, our co-hosts want to input on this ex- on this issue of should students in England, Scotland, well, haven't Scotland already been Scotland as well? as well? Yeah. 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 So, w- what to do for English children and their their GCSEs and A levels? Cancel them. End of like. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see um what tack the government does take because I'm going to go down the route of their no matter how bad COVID presumably will get, even though we've got this this promised vaccine coming, how disruptive it already is, let alone how it will continue to be as the weeks progress, surely they're going to stick to their guns just out of some ill-conceived stubbornness. I think they were rightly, publicly, roundly shamed and embarrassed by that complete shit show uh, they made of. they made of it last year that they... Presumably they're going to go through with it no matter what, just as a point of principle, just to kind of maintain rigour and faith in this system and uh, to keep the whole Ofsted edifice from completely crumbling because I think they can already see that it's falling apart and isn't fit for purpose. So I'd, I'd imagine they're going to go all out no matter what, no matter how unfair it's going to be, they're going to, they're going to stick to their guns. So I think there's there's one way that they could make a big change and still punish teachers, which I think would be their how they launder the idea to themselves, where they still make us hurt, but they do something different, is they basically have uh, like a series of mock exams in schools that we have to mark, but the exam boards will still get paid. So they don't come across any, they don't conflict with any business interests, um, but they can hit us a little bit harder and then blame us when things don't go right. So I think that could be their get-out clause. Or the other thing, which is what we're... Tr- I think nationally the union is trying to bash this, and I think this could work, is reducing the number of, of papers or having option choice for things. I've heard that in the news a couple of times. Um, it doesn't seem to be going away. It's what we suggested, like, right at the start, wasn't it? It's what we said in, like, August they should do, is just cut loads of the content out make kids stress about it a lot less. I mean, like, there's no art exam, for example. So I guess with the, with the coursework subjects, you just cut, you just cut big chunks out. But um, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think they'll go hell for level with this vaccine. They'll just um, they'll just go for it. But it doesn't take away the fact that the kids are still going to absolutely melt down in every round of mock exams we have from now until until then. They will be cool. freaking out. Uh, it'll be horrible. We've got ours started on Monday, and I can tell you my year 11s are not okay. Uh, and I already know of one student in my class who's told me because her parents going in for an operation, they're going to have to uh, self-isolate for the second week of the mocks because obviously they can't be bringing COVID home to someone who's recovering from an operation. So all of those little things themselves have to factor in. And it's all well and good we say these big grand sweeping plans that the government might want to say, yeah, oh, it'll be fine, just do a mox. But actually, if we get a positive case or you get a situation like the situation my student's currently in, what do we do then? Um, So you've got to think about the actual reality of the situation. Also, the subject that I teach, it's not as easy just to select a few questions 
because it's so building on key concepts that you can take out certain things, but it's not as easy as, say, in an essay subject where you can select a certain essay question that you can have quite easily prepared for. Um, If they don't know bonding, they're screwed for pretty much all of chemistry. So it's not always workable. As this, as the whole, have you not seen that pandemic, pandemic video, Lauren? Science is all basically a lie unless it agrees oh, with what you already thought anyway. So oh, great. maybe you should just. Me up. <laughs> I don't need that right now. Well, have Have you seen this particular <laughs> no, documentary? I well, then you don't know, do you? So well, then I'll have to find out, won't I? Yeah. Do, do <laughs> like research. Like any good scientist do, would. Do your research. I've researched it. <laughs> I actually know a teacher who seems to be... Uh, he's a PE teacher. Like, there you go. I'm mean, not saying that that's not... But... Oh, that's fired. That's fired. All teachers are equal. No. Um, like, yeah, he he is a bit of a COVID denier. And I see him on Facebook sometimes, like, really, yeah, saying... Essentially, the pandemic kind of concept. I mean, I know there's varying um, philosophies behind the pandemic, but he definitely thinks that... Um, it's also convenient how like all the billionaires have made so much money that they must have like chosen to do it in order to line their own pockets as if like as if they would even need to bother with creating a virus knowing full well that viruses are just um you know to this scale is clearly proven to be only a matter of time uh, and there was lots of people saying that and they might have been aware of that and you know been ready but yeah wouldn't a PE teacher be, is it not because it's his like wildest dream to have some kind of, uh, some kind of disease that would wipe out all the weak from humanity? Because that is basically what a PE teacher's job is to have, to commit some kind of genocide of pathetic people with shit lung capacity. He's the, um, most rotund, uh, PE teacher I've ever known. Um, at one point, at least, I think he's got a little bit more fit, but I, if that, was the policy then he would i think also be wiped out by it um so not not that necessarily uh no he, he it's kind of like sort of anti-capitalist kind of thinking but without the people around him i don't think to like direct the thought process um in such a way that it goes actually like this is just the like capitalist systems sort of performing themselves in such a way that you know it, it just reinforces itself like when there's already a disparity in wealth, something happens and those who are in power, you know, exacerbate that. So the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and you don't even need to do certain things on purpose. They just happen by way of the systems that are already in place. Like that that kind of idea, very badly explained by me just then, um, you know, has not yet kind of like reached his ears. And it's, yeah, I mean... I'm not going to try and take this into a whole place and it's not even something we were planned on talking about, but it just sort of pops into my mind. It's just something I I found interesting, yeah, to see that. And there's part of you that goes, oh, I'm going to delete this person. But, there's, you know, I think I do sometimes comment, I think you need to get involved sometimes and, and have those sort of awkward um, Facebook conversations, even briefly, and then bow out and let someone else sort of take over. Um, you've got to plan it. But, Sounds yeah. like you'll get it, to yeah. be honest. If you're in a school and you're not taking, you're not, you're not being careful, you'll probably get it. Uh, it's a primary school, so you know the chances are, you know, a little bit lower than like, well, possibly quite a lot lower than in secondary. I hope he doesn't get it, but you know. Best of luck to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, um, so I mean, I, I I think the solution to exams is pretty obvious in our view, and we think the union's got the correct line and some good ideas about how to make this fairer on the students and the staff. But um, I think I worry that Tom's prediction that the con- continuity of the exam system is the the one thing the government will cling to, to that they will actually have not have to have done an embarrassing U-turn on. Seems quite likely in my view, but um, let's see how this uh, much storied reshuffle in Boris's chief of staff cabinet bullshit. Let's see if that has any effect on the general fucking chaos of things. Um, next item on our agenda for requires improvement is whether the union should be calling for stronger action, uh, particularly on the vexed issue of whether we should be calling for a national ballot to try and shut schools. Uh, we are privy to debates that have occurred within the NEU, particularly on the um, executive, which is a, a group of representatives that are distributed across the regions nationally. They are elected, uh, but they've recently debated a motion as to whether we should call for closures of school and ballot our members to take strike action to affect that. Unfortunately, that motion was heavily defeated uh, on the national executive and that they are not in favour of a ballot. Um, some of the arguments around that are that it's unwinnable in the current situation. The obvious disparity between the situations in primary and secondary schools is one of the obvious factors weighing against the idea that we could get all teachers to agree on this issue but i thought i'd open this up for debate amongst our co-hosts as to what they think uh, whether the union is taking a strong enough line on the issue of safety and school closures currently well we we were kind of we had a meeting with some other movers and shakers in the union and we, we were kind of getting ready for a national zoom call and we thought what was going to happen was similar to in May, where it was like, look, school reps, this is what you can do to build momentum to close mm. schools. But then the next thing we heard, it was just like, yeah, we want to be including the fire break. And to me, I think that was kind of bungled a bit. I think it was yeah. way too quick. And it was, it was said in a kind of, like obviously you agree with it. I think human life is more important than passing a shit exam. Um, and I think because I've seen the kids, I think they'll be fine after a bit. And remote provisions come on along stuff. So, so I don't buy any of that stuff. But um, I just think it was weird. I don't know if they thought they could win because it felt easy in May or um, I don't know. I think in our demands, there's like scales of it. Like it but But that wasn't reported. Like we could have said, secondary schools or we could have said tier three places that were formerly tier three or anywhere where a school individual school ballots for it i didn't really it just kind of seemed like it was always going to lose just just going out for something that that big which seemed weird i don't know what you all felt yeah and no, i agree with you nick i think it, it kind of failed on on two fronts and it, it was incredibly frustrating i think we had a consensus back in March that I don't, I can't imagine we will ever see again. That's among kind of the broader membership, and I think calling for kind of foreclosures is is quite contentious. So we ran a survey recently. I'll just get the results up. Uh, not been published yet, but it's like in terms of do you agree with the four weeks? It's a majority agree, but we're talking fifty seven percent. So it's still quite. 57% to 43%. So it's it's quite divisive. So I think where the union 
the, the national leadership of the union, there wasn't that preliminary consultation. They weren't bringing the membership with them. They weren't engaging with the membership or talking with the membership. It was just this announcement on the high. And it goes back to the, the episode where we talked about Jane McAlevian about the organising principles or principles of organising being an organising union rather rather than just an advocacy union or a third party or an insurance policy, it kind of undercut all of all of that kind of good work and that good theory around it by just saying, yep, yeah, the union, whatever that is, says this. And if you're a member of the union and you don't like what's being said, then what do you do? Do you quit? Do you find another union that does better represent your views? Um, so that was that was one frustration I felt. Um, I do appreciate it, obviously, in a very, very tough job um, running a union. And I think another failure was, yeah, just being a bit savvier in terms of, like, the media optics, I suppose, for a better word. Like, we know the challenges of getting our, our line across. We know how it's going to be misrepresented in, in the popular presses, but it's like... Yeah, so what? If we know that, why why fall into these traps time and time again? Why why leave yourself open to kind of to being attacked in that way? So I think, yeah, they could have... I mean, yeah, that's the, the frustrating thing is it's like they're right and I think too often when you're in the union, the only victory you get is after the fact you are proved to be right. You say a terrible thing is going to happen if, if you do this and they go ahead and do it and a terrible thing happens. But I think... Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. It does. It does make sense, and it is the only sensible course of action to save people's lives ultimately. But yeah, how it could have been presented to both the membership and and to the wider public could have been done in a different way. And the whole thing of um, yeah, because if you inoculate against the whole, um, uh, oh, teachers are lazy. You, the kids have been off for six months. Whatever. We could have easily said, um, okay, fine. We were sold out by the Labour Party in September, who we had lots of reasonable demands. We said we needed testing on site. We said we needed rotor systems and like the ability to kind of scale it up and down, like fluidly, whatever. Um, Labour Party said no ifs, no buts, which just erased everything we were asking for. Then what we predicted to ha- was going to happen happened and students went back and it was way worse than we thought. And we could say, look, we've given it a go and it hasn't worked and we were right. So let's bring in the things and scale it down. I think, yeah, we should have gone to rotor system or I mean, I've, like that, I've not heard of it beyond like a few people, maybe even just um, one or two of you, but the fact that we've now in a lockdown, I mean, I don't even feel like we're in a lockdown because, you know, we still got to go to work, but theoretically every single person who's not a key worker, when they discover that they've, uh, got COVID symptoms, um, they've got so many fewer like people who they could potentially have passed it on to to therefore contact um, to also do tests. Like that should mean that there's so many extra tests, um, test kits that are like just there for the taking. And I, I can't remember when it was mentioned, it's in my head, but the idea that those tests should now be used, presumably like production hasn't just stopped like that would be that would be senseless to me and like we should be being tested especially in secondary school it would if there's only enough tests that potentially to just test the secondary school teachers I think as a primary school teacher I think it would be a very or I say um teachers it should be you know all educators all staff of course like even you know even lunch people um 
that that seems like the obvious thing to do to to work through even if you're not necessarily going to go for the lockdown option like has has that been called for has that been spoken out and i've just missed it I also think the issue is by keeping schools open in certain certain circumstances, it also disincentivizes people to have tests. So if you think, if you've got a year 11 kid, right, and you know full well as a parent, oh, actually, they're not going to get their exams if they don't do the mock. So therefore, oh, I feel a bit iffy, but oh, if I get a test, then I definitely can't send them in. So, or maybe we just won't do it. Like, unfortunately, that is also because schools being open the way that things are are happening that is going to be a massive incentive another incentive is you are a self-employed person who is still expected to work so for example if you are a builder or a plumber all these people that are still essential services that are working then of course you are also disincentivized to have a test yourself and also get your kids tested because the fact is that you might not be able to then go to work for two weeks you your kid will have to be home who's going to be at home to look after them um, and unfortunately, like the school opening and the lack of testing and the way that it's run is that that's such an issue. And we can say that most people wouldn't do that. But also, as a year 11 parent, do you want to be the parent of the kid that means that loads of other kids are then having to self-isolate as well in the really crucial year? Like, it's really, really difficult. I think that's related though, but it's not, that's not necessarily what I was speaking to specifically because what I mean is about testing the staff, like that, that's what I'm kind of talking about because like, mm. I do understand obviously, you know, the idea that your parents and, um, and workers, especially on like zero hours contracts and things, um, are in a difficult position if they think they might have symptoms, like, yeah. Oh, as a supply teacher I definitely get that but what I'm really referring to is the idea of just like testing regularly the way that the NHS staff have um just of of actual staff not not the children because that allows everyone to feel more confident in what's going on allows that reassurance uh, in order to keep um the the schools open and and overall if if something is you know amiss if there is covid riddled within the school then then that shutdown is done um swiftly before it spreads um into the wider population as well like that's kind of what um what i've heard mentioned like just once i can't even remember where it was but like in terms of you know going back to the idea of us as a union yeah strike action etc like how much has that been talked of and how like it just seems so possible um to to not strike for but to to point out like to request it to to demand it from the, to demand it from the government like just ask for testing because they're just yeah. they're just so inept it seems so obvious, but they've not thought of it and you know it's i i would have thought it would have was just going to happen and yeah it hasn't well i mean that was part of the one of the kind of the union's missteps perhaps was that that was one of our our five demands the five tests was an effective test and trace system but it seemed to be september came around and then they just maybe and i think it was very difficult the fact that the rest of the country had opened up but but there seemed to be a perception that maybe hopefully if we all crossed our fingers the virus would just respect the academic year and just kind of dissipate for september so we could all get back to normal but i mean yeah it would have been doable, I think, if, if most people could get tests within like 24 hours. And because then you could, because we were talking about just get teachers, like the ESN were saying they were just going to get a test every week anyway. But now there's like, there was just no, compa- no capacity to do that. 
But if you could have done that... But lo- lockdown should have provided a, a renewed opportunity. Am I, yeah, am yeah. I mad and think of am that? I, am I mad and think of that? Yeah, I mean, no, every day is a chance to get this right, but we're not seeing that, are we? And that's what really grinds you down and makes you fucking want to scream into the void, to borrow a phrase from our guest in the last episode, you know? It, yeah. It's maddening to, to, you know, and as a person who had tests that came back inconclusive, you know, there's surely there's a better way. Um, it just feels like being thrown to the walls, doesn't it? Like, literally, it, it feels like, as an educator at the moment, that literally no one gives a fuck about us. <laughs> like, I know that sounds really horrible, but that is that is how I feel. I feel I feel very acquainted with my class interests right now. <laughs> well, as I say, it's this thing of like, it, it's we're heroes when it, it's this thing of like, uh, and then when we don't live up to that, we're awful. So it's like the NHS stuff. It's like they're absolute, they're absolute gods. These people aren't they amazing, keeping us safe? And then they went on strike a couple of years ago because they said, "Oh, this is fucking unbelievable," and they're like, "Evil, reckless, dangerous, horrible, nasty." Blair, horrible doctors, Blair. And it's kind of like, look, teachers, we hate you, but we need you there with the kids because the best place for the kids is with you. Even though we fucking hate you and you're disgusting, you're a disgrace and you don't want to be there and you hate, oh yeah, and you're poisoning their mind. We need you there, all right? And be nice to them and be be happy about your job that's really badly paid. You shouldn't have signed up for it if you didn't want to do it kind of thing it's really annoying frustrating rhetoric and then a lot of teachers have internalized that as well it's like how are you oh i'm okay you know obviously i'm really worried about dying and all my family dying and i'm really really stressed and everything i do is terrible and i feel really bad i don't want to admit how hard i'm finding it in case management think i'm incompetent and fire me yeah but you know i'm really glad to be here it's like you don't have to be you know there's some fucking jobs worth in the profession and that is a problem (laughs) as well yeah uh, and they they need calling out. I mean, it's difficult when you're in the position of being a union rep when you're trying to bring people in, but people are behaving in ways that are antithetical to our collective safety. Uh, mm. Um, this neatly brings me to our next topic, which we need to discuss: is the um the outsourcing of public health England and the interesting effects that we've seen in terms of what head teachers are being advised to do when we know COVID has been positively tested and identified in students and staff in the school. I don't know if anyone's got any anecdotes or uh, experience with this one. Go for it, Lauren. I really do. Go for it. So basically, before this all... Literally to the day, and I spoke to a member of SLT about this, and they literally said... One day, the I was on the phone talking to a, a doctor or a clinician, really professional. The advice was send the whole year group home. So before half term, I had two year groups that had to wholly so like be sent home for two weeks. So I had those lessons, PPA, non-contact, I'm calling non-contact, they're not free, um, at the, of which then prepare home learning stuff in that lesson, fine. Like actually, if anything, I gained a bit of time. Um then literally said overnight, it went from being send the whole year group home to, right, we need all the seating plans. We need to know who they were sat close to in lessons. Um, and 32 seemed to be this magic number that seems to have been plucked from thin air wherever possible. And, and he said it was literally an overnight thing. And I can attest that as being a teacher of, oh, okay, a, a child has tested positive in year eight, for example. Oh, all year eight have been sent home and they're going to be home for the next two weeks. 
to, oh, okay, so someone in this year group has been tested positive. Um, so there's 50 students in that year group that are now isolating for two weeks and like all from different classes, depending on, you know, which lessons they had with who. Um, and I, I literally, I saw the difference. Like we all saw the difference instantly. And the amount of added stress that has put on us in terms of having to then teach those lessons and also then, as I said before, won't go into it again, but also manage online learning alongside that has just been crazy. And it, it I read an article in The Guardian by Jordan By recently, um, 3rd of November, um, where he literally details the scandal of the outsourcing and how it is just cool. Basically, you're, you're phoning a call centre who have got a flowchart in a computer that they're typing your stuff into and then they're coming up with the answer and that it's just preposterous you know and what that's created on the ground I've definitely noticed a difference as someone who hasn't even had to deal with them personally how disturbingly neoliberal (laughs) any other thoughts my fellow co-hosts um, I've heard, um, well, my worst anecdote was um, speaking to someone on the phone being like, oh, we had a teacher who um, is a, was a wait, awaiting a test result but was told to come in while they waited to get their result back. Uh, so that kind of, um, yep. Are no. you a gambling man? If you're a lucky <laughs> yeah. punk. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and um, kind of other, other stories I've been hearing about kind of schools and shifting um, away from the year group bubble model. So instead of having your year seven as a bubble, you can break year seven down into three or four mini bubbles. And I think um, um, that was at the behest of parents who fr- were frustrated at how disruptive their kids' education were. So instead of now, if there's an outbreak in year seven, it will be a quarter of year seven going home or a third or whatever it might be rather than that entire year group. Um, so, yes, I mean, it seems it seems to be just this a total false economy of people trying to do the absolute bare minimum to get away with it. But then, of course, in a week or two weeks later, you're going to have a much bigger outbreak because you didn't stamp down thoroughly enough on the initial one, which um, let's cross our fingers and I hope it will hope it will work out fine because it, it has done up to this point. <laughs> This is the this is the point with sort of you know union group strategy in in the school. Like I'm asking my members, um, do you think it's bad now, but it's going to get a bit better in December, or do you think the lockdown is going to continue? Do you think the numbers are actually going to go down? Because it's only really been a a week. Has it only been a week since the lockdown? A week and a bit, yeah. Week and a bit. So we've still got another week and a bit before we'll see any effects of it and the effect of it is going to be significantly lower than it was before because the schools are still open so so what is it it, you know it's not it doesn't seem like it's going to go away um anytime soon remember universities also are going back between so the window they've given them haven't they that six-day window between the third and the ninth of december to return home and yet this lockdown was supposed to be finished on the second well they're supposed to get they're supposed to get tested before then yeah as well but but it doesn't really sound like this lockdown is is it going to be over on the second because if you've got then got university students literally going everywhere around the country in that six-day window and they have to get a test before they can go home. Right, I think they're okay. getting priority on the on-site testing 
and the quick turn. Oh, okay, stuff. yeah, like, I think that's, that's the idea. Happen. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> the yeah, so my thing is just like saying to members, and then you know, going to say to management, um, what would it take for you to close the school? What's the number you're going? How are you measuring how sustainable this is? How many staff off? How many kids off? How many years off? What, what, how many local infections? What would it take? Because if they can't give me an answer, that's really worrying. And if they can give me an answer, whatever the answer is, is going to terrify me because it's going to be reliant on grinding us into yeah. the dust. How many, bod- how many bodies are sustainable? Sorry. Well, they do have an answer, Nick. It's like we will do what the Department for Education tells us, which um, I'm staggered by that endless well of good faith that what the government tells them is is the right thing to do. I mean, that that's, that seems to be what the answer will be, is that we will do what... I'll go back to the mask thing. I'll go back to the thing say there's not been a single bit of government advice that's come at the right time or has been strong enough. So what what's the right thing for the for the staff and students at this school? What's the right thing? And, and I know what he'll say. He'll say... I'm trying really hard. And it's like, I know you are. This isn't personal. This is, you know, and there were, there were schools where they took, where they showed leadership, you know, in March and they closed a week earlier. They saw the way the wind was blowing and they did the right thing. Mm. And, you know, it's trying to say to management, like, we will help you do the right thing in the community and with staff and whatever, but we will absolutely punish you for doing the wrong thing. Even if it's the government thing, like that's kind of what it has to be. And it's, I mean, that's where a lot of conversations about, you know, whether a rotor system or a reduced offering of education would be the sensible way and fairer way to go for all involved is because, you know, how effective is the current proposition? You know, what is the attendance figure for your school? How many kids Terrible. are at, at, yeah, what, what, how many kids are actually showing up for this for whatever reason? Because um, there's still, don't forget, a healthy percentage of parents who are still quite scared to send their kids to school. You know, um, it, 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 and on the strength of the current evidence, I, I, I can see that their concerns are legitimate. Um, you know, would would a school that was half full, admittedly, you, you, you know, the kids that are not there will be forced back onto the remote learning model, which we know has problems. But w- would at least a school that was half full, you could be sure was not transmitting and boosting this virus, was not making the problem fucking worse, which is which is currently the, the fear about this present lockdown, inverted commas, will it be effective? You know, the, 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 the tier two and tier three, you know, back when they had this regional approach to lockdowns, you, you've got one of the most senior sage advisors for the government admitting in a press conference he doesn't think it's going to work i mean what what the <laughs> what the fucking fuck yeah yeah and unfortunately going back to the start is it leads to what happened to you like it leads yeah. to someone yeah. i care about loads being in hospital five days on oxygen yeah. how many bodies like, you, how many bodies are you going to be comfortable with you know um is, is i did say that uh, to management at the start i said how many give me a number people. give me a number no i said yeah yeah we're, we're, it's, a, it's a school community of 2,000 people and we've got all the families on top of that. Well, I can tell you, apparently, having three year groups out of five, like half of them are having to isolate and 20 supply teachers in, still isn't enough. Well, that's it, Lee. You, you just refer to it as a reduced offering. I think if we had that kind of blended rotor system from the start, 
they'd actually end up getting a much better offering than they currently have and it would be much more equitable and probably there'll be a lot of a lot of students who are currently in a cycle of going into school someone in their their cohort gets it they have to go home who would be much better served by by a rotor system which goes back to just a complete lack of imagination and as nick talked about the sellout from the labor party being like no ifs no buts every single bum on seat from the 1st of september um yeah, I mean, well, we are where we are and we we, we all know where the fuck we're going to be in a couple of weeks and in a month's time. But then um, maybe the vaccine will come and we'll, we'll forget about this ever happened and we, we'll brush it under the carpet and move on and get back to marking with three different colour pens. A three-week um, three Christmas, do you reckon they might close for Christmas earlier because they could make that out of some kind of patriotic thing, get into the shops? We think it's important that kids have more time at home with their family because of Christmas, then you can isolate for two weeks at home and then see your relatives on Christmas Day. I don't know, Eat that could be some way over out. Again. So we've only got, well, we've got two items left on our agenda, one of which feels um, worth talking about and the other one increasingly feels less worth talking about. Um, let's start with the more valid one because we've already mentioned it. Um, I think it's worth uh, just giving a shout out to um, the university students um, as Nick has said in previous conversations, these are kids that we have personally taught in the last year or two. And the way that university students are being treated currently is a fucking disgrace. Uh, I, I, I am in full solidarity with any students who've decided to take part in occupations. So we're thinking of the University of Manchester currently who are um, pitching an occupation. And we're also thinking about students who are organising rent strikes. Uh, and the extent to which the, you know, the carceral state is being aimed at these students is frankly shocking to me. Uh, it sounds like the cops haven't got the memo on how lethal COVID is because they're quite happy to be in the mix with university students filming them, intimidating them, getting up in their residences and trying to like regulate their personal conduct in privately rented accommodation. I don't know what uh, the rest of our hosts think about um, the current situation vis-a-vis -vis university students. Oh, it's terrifying, isn't it? Like, because as you say, what the what is going on with in terms of people going into private residences, which the whole, from my understanding, is that whole hall is kind of essentially a lockdown, and like, and the fact is, that terrifies me because the precedent that sets is very troubling. Then also you've got the fact that, imagine it, right? You were encouraged to go to university this year, even though you thought, oh, maybe I won't because, you know, COVID. But you were told, oh, but you know what? If you apply it, try and like wait for next year, there's going to be much higher demand. You won't necessarily be guaranteed your place. Um, you know, you shouldn't really be delaying education. And they were encouraged as much as possible to go to university. Oh, no, it won't just be distance learning. You'll still have face-to-face -face lectures. Or you'll have access to all the facilities, blah, blah, blah. So they were lied to epically. This is shadow of, 20, uh, you know, the whole tuition fee debacle again. But only worse. Um so they lie to, they get there, they're denied the university experience, especially in your first year. Like, let's face it, you want to go out and meet people, you want your social engagements, none of that. And then you're in a, you're 18, you're away from home, you're in a new place, you're isolated, you're terrified of this disease, and then you have all of this to deal with. It is absolutely horrific way to treat people. Like, so disgusting. So, um, sorry, it makes me really upset. I had an argument with a member of staff about this because they were they were getting saying getting quite annoyed and quite worried that students were 
bringing in all this stuff and they live in Bristol and they were like, oh, I see the students out and things. And I was saying to him, they're not doing anything illegal. This is like in September. They could go from their halls to a pub with five other people. They could go to another pub with another five people. They could go to another pub with another five people. And he was saying, yeah, yeah, but, you know, they, they need to have some kind of, you know, take some responsibility. Why? Why? They're doing things legally. They, why should they do more than anyone else when the government has treated them with such utter, utter contempt? And they're not even at risk from the virus anyway. So the young have sacrificed so much more to protect the old. And people have been fine with doing that, actually. Like, actually have been kind of fine with doing it. And, um, yeah, it's just mental. And on the kind of police busting into halls and stuff, I saw a really good tweet by someone that was saying, um, you know, when you're a student, your experience with the police is, like, your laptop gets nicked. And you mm. ask the police, and like, yeah, I can't do anything. Or uh, people are raped. And, yeah, can't, can't do anything about that. Um, and then, you know, oh, they're, they're questioning private property. Right, in we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's crazy. And just to talk about the, the, the rent strike um, in Bristol, the, the last number I heard, and it's still growing, was they signed up one in five of everyone in halls in, at Bristol University. And it's got to be more than that now. And they've already not paid the first round. But I don't think management have really given them very much. So they're ready for the next round in, um, in January. We're supporting them with... Uh, with, with money for flyers and, and things like that, we're trying to help them grow it into into UE and things like that. But this is the this is the generation that went on climate strikes. This is the generation that that turned up and said fuck the algorithm. Like they are not dealing with like people like us. I mean, maybe you could talk about the Millbank Tower thing, Tom, because it's like it's relevant. It's a relevant generation, and this these people in ten to five years' time are going to be so angry and so skilled up. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Um, It's also worth just noting that even if um, the 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 rent strike movement was to pause at one in five, that would only mirror the current default rate in commercial rents. Um, But the difference between commercial rents and what students pay in terms of rent is that you can bully students, whereas you can't bully corporations and businesses who just decide to not pay their bills so you know again i i I just not to get too conspiratorial but the idea that you know you can get the cops in to intimidate the students from manchester university clearly the state feels that that's within its remit to do Um, it's easier to win because they have one landlord they have one landlord it's a collective thing it mm. very much makes sense to do a rent strike and there's no reason why they should back down because it might take a while but why should they pay and they can't make them pay. So yeah, yeah. Nine nine k for this, you know, is one of the best placards I've seen. Um, Tom, sorry. And you- also, we could talk about why should they even be paying all of their fees? Like, you know, if we're going to lead it to a logical conclusion, like why should you pay a full nine grand whack per year? Well, actually, Lauren, it makes it better overall. Actually, free tuition fees. <laughs> is a very stupid concept. And if you were clever, you would understand you... this very complicated system that actually costs everyone more. <laughs> unless unless you were born from 1950 yeah, to 1970, say, in which case currently... free tuition was a great idea. <laughs> anyway. Um, I know I said there was two things remaining on our agenda. I, I've just noticed that... Well, Tom, you want... Were you going to talk there? about the 2010 protests? Oh yeah, I'll bring it back and I'll show my age without all going a bit uh, bit Navara media on us all at the end. Um, yeah, that was interesting. You talked about um, 
the current students. I think, oh, yeah, if we can say what, what they're going to be in for in the future, they can be, they'll be well into their 30s, they'll be professionals, they'll be parents, and they'll still be able to wheel out some uh, Guardian columnist or a right-wing Labour MP to explain to you that actually you're a small, insignificant child who just doesn't understand the world, as Nick talked about. I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> it is worth it is worth kind of noting... Um, uh, yeah, like kind of commemorating the, the kind of the tenth anniversary of the of the the student protest because we are still, I think, very much living in that world, and I think yeah, purely on a personal note, I think it, it did definitely shape shape my world, my politics, my outlook, and the direction of my life in in really quite profound ways. So yeah, I mean, um, it was the the anniversary of Milbank has just passed. Um, so it was in December 2010. It was the, uh, a Whitehall kettle um, where we were kettled for about eight or nine hours, I think. And I think it's always worth remembering this because I think it is one of these things that is constantly forgotten about. And I've brought it up on the podcast before in 2019, and it is about the, the educational maintenance uh, maintenance allowance. And I think how these kind of and we will see it with the current um, bout of student protests and rent strike. It's going to be what are all these moaning middle class kids complaining about like that from rich families They're at university. They can afford to pay these nine grand fees and pay these rents. What we need to keep in mind is that the 2010 student protest, a lot of it was six formers who had their educational maintenance allowance cut. And we got to understand just how transformative the EMA was for, for so many people and how it was just such a brazen, naked, vile I act. I can definitely attest Absolutely. to that. It was just a vile act of class war. And yeah, I can still like to this day vividly remember being there and having like kids in their school uniforms in their white shirts talking to policemen like riot cops being like can I go home because I'm really cold and I miss my mum and I want to go and do my homework and being like being taunted by a police war it's like that's what you get for being black that's what you get for being working class and trying to stand up for yourself and for the right to an education um and I think yeah that's we are still very much in that world and I think every struggle we've had under this current government and the coalition before it is kind of echoed in that and I think at the time people were saying these protesters were wrong or they just again they just don't understand how the world works and why we do need university fees and why actually they should go up and why austerity is a necessity and why we need to run the country like a household and you wouldn't want your household to be in debt I think again they've been proven right and I think I mentioned it earlier in the episode so often in our in our politics or in in, in trade unionism it's like our big victory is being proven to be right after the fact and we're proven to be right it feels like time and time again but things are still really bad so yeah I don't know if I'm leaving on a pessimistic note but I suppose the the optimistic note is we can only just keep on doing what we're doing we can like build these bonds of solidarity like solidarity with the university rent strikers and um yeah just keep on keeping on I suppose we won't always have to watch car crashes in slow motion. If, if, if we level up enough, if we do enough organising, if we get enough people on our sides, we can gain the bullet time effect to intervene in these events and like nudge one like piece of shrapnel or one bullet, <laughs> one bullet out the way and we can cause a chain reaction, a butterfly effect that uh, gets us out of this hell world in which we seem to be condemned to uh, continue. Um. We've, all, we've got two other things on the agenda, but to be honest, I've got so little respect for both of them. I really don't want to dedicate too much time. Uh, if you want to find out the current state of the Labour Party, you could read an article in The Guardian about Wes Streeting, who's currently the fucking shadow schools minister. 
And if you read that article, you'll be gaslit into somehow thinking that Jeremy Corbyn and the, the Labour Party from 2015 to 2019 had no education policy whatsoever, apparently. And that uh, the system as it is uh, doesn't matter so much as like the practice in the schools. I mean, basically, you could read Wes Streeting's interview and come away from it thinking that everything's actually fine. And the problem is just the... Well, I mean, just the people in charge, like it, it's it's one of the most atrociously surface level uh, and propagandistic articles that you just come to expect from the fucking Guardian nowadays. Because um, there's more in that article about putting the boot into Jeremy Corbyn than there is about education policy. Um, so fuck West Streeting. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> past you know, no, worth noting again with um worth noting again with wes streeting that he was the nus totally hopeless clueless out of his depth nus president in 2010 who was arguing i couldn't even tell you what he's arguing but he was he was wrong then and he's wrong now so um a, a decade of sterling <laughs> work wes here's to another decade i'll be yeah looking forward to it uh, and i guess as a final thing to address and I'll, I'll probably be more circumspect in what i say about this but um uh, it, I, I suppose if we're looking for upsides of the pandemic, at least for this year, we've been uh, forced to do less uh, performative uh, glorification of war and sort of nationalist posturing via the medium of via, via the medium of poppies. <laughs> Putting myself in the gammon crosshairs here, but I don't know if anyone's got any thoughts on. Uh, on uh, you say that, but Tom on the WhatsApp joked about how um, he heard the last. What was it the last stand coming through? Last the post. Last post. Uh, we had that as well. So that seems to be the key thing now. And it's like every tutor group in their classroom with this bugle playing through. And it's very weird and stupid and eerie. And um, But I just wear a white poppy, so I just push my own propaganda. And I'm waiting to be bollocked for it. But nah, don't care. I'll just just keep doing it. Uh, one of the co-hosts of Chapo Trap House has been doing a good good line of uh, poppy remembrance tweets and uh, the, the classic image of Chris Tarrant and the Cookie Monster from Sesame Street both wearing poppies has been quite resonant for me uh, this past week or two. Well, actually, there's two members of staff at my school who have poppies incorporated into their face masks. Well, that is hardcore remembrance. Um, not much chance of... And fantastic, they can just wear it all year round. Double up, they'll be safe and they can commemorate year round. Keep and it going. Th- there's no way there's no way we could ever forget with that kind of commitment, you know. On the morning commute, there's a, a really tragic you know, there's those really tragic displays that people have made. And obviously I, I understand they're so full of patriotic fervour that they just have to go and construct like a little no man's land in their in their front drive. But this one <laughs> I drove past it's just pain. It's like, you know, like the bar, it's like wooden barbed wire crossed fences, but the barbed wire is just string, you know, like white string with some poppies and some things on it. And it looks like, and it's wet and it's just been blown about and it's by the road. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, it's just a sad, a sad thing Wait, to see. Christmas. It's a plastic simulacra of a poppy nailed to every lamppost or cable tied, which is what you get in Staple Hill. I, I just don't know how you think such a symbol could be respectful. But, mm. yeah. I I know that obviously like, the whole thing is is strange, like the way that something that has so much potential to be about like working class people remembering the loss 
of so many you know, of their, you know, parents, grandparents and great grandparents and, and how tragic that was. And like the less we forget being about like, let's not do that again. Obviously, you know, I, I, I think the uh, that's implied in what you said, but it hasn't been said explicitly um, thus far. I do get that. But I also there's a part of me that's kind of allowing for those displays. I'm seeing a little bit of a pass, even though I do agree, agree with you in theory, Nick, um, because I suspect, and this is a little pass I give, that some of those are made by parents who are desperately trying to think of activities and things to pop in the window <laughs> to connect their children with the, with the wider world at the moment. Like, like you know, you see the pumpkin um, things go up, the NHS things, uh, like the rainbows, and all of those, like, different things you see in, like, window displays. And there's a part of me that just thinks, like, window displays that connect with the people is, is you know, it's, it's hammed up. There's, there's bad parts about it, but there's a part of me that just goes, you know what, if that's a little afternoon that you spent with your kids and and you got some weird barbed wire and and you kind of give them the garbled message about like remembering the troops like you know if if it kept <laughs> if it kept you going uh, maybe, was like maybe i don't mind and diwali mm-hmm. this year people celebrating diwali that have never mentioned it before and i'm an re teacher so i noticed this stuff mm-hmm. people really going in half for diwali and it's like never said anything about it before it's just like it's a craft craftenoon isn't mm-hmm. it it's another Crafty afternoon. I do think it's worth saying though how sucky it is for people that are like Hindus in the UK currently who Diwali's on a Saturday. Like one of my colleagues is literally doing this. She's like, I'm so gutted because this is the first time in ages Diwali's on a Saturday and I can't do the normal stuff. And also, like, imagine if that was Christmas. Imagine if, like, you know, Christmas was, we're told, nah, you can't do anything you're on proper lockdown for christmas that would not that would not fly like it just wouldn't fly and i just think i just want to put a bit of a nod to people who are celebrating diwali currently who can't do it in the way they want to and i think both lauren and charlie's rather more conciliatory uh message is the proper note to end upon i probably shouldn't have gone from west streeting to remembrance that probably wasn't the right vibe to strike because i probably came across as quite dismissive and obviously as a history teacher Mm. uh one of my central goals is to try and talk about the uh the inhumanity of humanity and um i I guess that's where a lot of our frustration about the representation of remembrance stems from in the um, the actual uh, anti-war message of remembrance, which is how it was originally intended, has been hijacked by ah, the neoliberals who want to kind of make it more about nationalist sentiment and continuing to do what we do in terms of regime change, uh, conflating all wars as somehow equal and just. Yeah, um, that, that's really what our beef is with. Um, so but I, I anticipate unless I carefully edit the section, I, I anticipate a flood of flood of complaints no matter what I say or do. Bring it on. <laughs> No, but it's true. Isn't it? Yeah, I think I think we should definitely do a, a full kind of future episode on a, particularly on history teaching and remembrance and the increasing nationalism and imperialism that's creeping its way and the militarization of education. I think would be a really interesting deep dive, as they say. Um, guys, it's been. I, I believe we are approaching a respectable time limit, and on that basis, I'm going to close this episode. I don't know if anyone's got any burning points that they wanted to finally address before I uh, do the closer. Anyone got any plans for uh, plans for Christmas, uh, guys? Or what? <laughs> what you guys well, can't wait to start asking plans, people that. That's going to be amazing. Plans. So, 
Thank you for joining us. We have been Requires Improvement. I've been your host, Lee, and today I've been joined by my co-hosts, Nick, Tom, Lauren, and Charlie. You can find us on Twitter, at RequiresPod, and all your typical podcast hosts like SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Give us a like, a comment, and a share with anyone who you think might be interested in what we're discussing. Uh, I'll catch you later, and I'll invite my co-host to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.